Welcome to the Zen Stoic Podcast, where we take philosophies of Zen and Stoicism that have been helping people for thousands of years, and we bring them into modern discussions to create mental wellness and vitality. Welcome back, everybody, to the Zen Stoic Podcast. I'm your host, Victor Pierantoni. I have a very special guest here with me today. I have Jed Beal. Now, Jed Beal, he opened Jed's Barbershop in Salt Lake City nine years ago during the, the stages of the recession. And the business now has three locations, dozens of employees, all who are, who are all millennials. And Jed specializes in branding, customer service, systems, and millennial management, which is, I have to say, this is a niche of, uh, as an employer that I've never seen before or never seen put it in such a way. So Jed, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I'm really, really excited to have you here, brother. Cool. Thanks, Victor. Appreciate Excellent. it. Awesome, man. So uh, before we get started, if you will, can you tell the audience just a little bit about you and what inspired you to start Jed's Barbershop, especially during the recession, during an incredibly difficult time for everybody in this country? Yeah, I mean, it was a difficult time. This is back in like 2008. um, And uh, the country was going through some rough times. I had actually an incredible job. I was making six figures. Uh, I worked for a beauty company, Aveda. Mm-hmm. And I was helping opening up their schools, kind of like Paul Mitchell has their own schools, yes. has their own schools. And uh, I was doing quite well. The issue was that I was helping other people uh, start their own business uh, within the salon network uh, and within the schools. And I had learned so much about how to do that that I thought, you know what, we're in a recession. This would mm-hmm. be a great time to test out a new concept that I have, because if it will make it in a recession, it'll do extremely well afterwards. Absolutely. So um, I was a barber uh, just as a hobby. I went Mm -hmm. to school to become a barber um, in a hiatus that I had. And when I came back, it was just for my friends. I would cut everyone's hair in my garage. Mm -hmm. And so when I opened up Jed's Barbershop, it was a barbershop that didn't look like a barbershop it looked like my garage. So we have <laughs> in every shop, we have a 19, you know, forties refrigerator. And instead of it being stocked with beer, it was stocked with sodas because mm-hmm. we're located in Utah. I can't have beer in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the waiting area had funny magazines like mad magazine and uh, you know, just what my dog ate type of photo books and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um in the shops, we have 80s arcade games like Miss Pac-Man and Galaga and Pinball Machines. And then we also have, you know, on the big screen, we're playing stuff like Dukes of Hazard and things like that. So basically, I duplicated my garage and made it a fun place to hang out. And uh, as we built one and uh, dealt with the stresses of trying to uh, release this new concept to the public, uh after a while, after about two or three years, it started to take off. And then we opened up a second and a third. And uh, then I pumped the brakes and I mm-hmm. said, wait a minute, um, we could maximize or we can optimize. And so right now I'm in the phase where I'm really optimizing. I want to make sure that every dollar is accounted for in the business, mm-hmm. that I'm not just spending like crazy, that the scheduling is tight, that um, our employees have Uh, great benefits. And so, uh, you know, like we are a very unique barbershop because people don't rent chairs from us. It's Mm. not an independent contractor type barbershop. Everyone is an employee and we do things that barbershops don't normally do. 
we pay 75% of mm-hmm. our employees' health insurance and their families. Wow. We pay paid vacation with tips. And we also have 401k matching. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do free, we've been doing this for two years, free virtual doctors for all of our staff. Wow. Uh, so, you know, uh, there is no copay. There's no nothing. It's just a free virtual doctor. And so we've started to really, really optimize our business model, call it tight. Mm-hmm. And we're just at the, well, we're in the middle of this COVID right now. Mm-hmm. However, uh, we are, you know, once we get through this time, we will then be ready to expand in other uh, cities. We're uh, creating really, really outstanding customer service um, training systems yes. uh, that start at the interview, that start with who you hire, um, and uh, also how you monitor those employees. So anyhow, that's enough about the business. But yeah, so, you know, I opened up those barber shops. We made it um, through the t- toughest part of the recession, and now we're mm-hmm. facing, you know, another uh, obstacle possible with yes. COVID-19. Which is, which is really interesting, especially with regards to stoicism, which is one of the philosophies that we discuss on this podcast. Stoicism was actually started because of a guy named Zeno, who lost, he lost his ship in a shipwreck. He was a merchant and he lost his business essentially. And he developed this from a time of total adversity, total challenge and roadblock after roadblock in front of him with this situation. And it's, it's really interesting because you started your business in a time like that. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, it's really interesting because most people would be afraid to start a business in a time like that. They'd be afraid to take a risk and, because at least in my generation, because I'm one of those millennials that we were talking about here <laughs> in the beginning, in my generation, uh, millennials, we like things done instantly. We like to know that it's going to work and it's going to work right now. And what process? What are you talking about process? <laughs> and what's interesting is your whole approach was not only did you start it in adversity, but you also did it as a test. Let me see if this works. And that thought process, as simple as that sounds, I feel like it's so lost with many people. They just, they want something to work. And if it doesn't feel like it's going to work in their head, they're just not doing it. What are your thoughts on number one, starting something during adversity, like, or how you look at adversity, like the previous recession. And number two, that idea of testing something, not just expecting it to work immediately. Well, I think adversity is your friend, right? Mm-hmm. Um, almost everything great in business came out of adversity. Yes. Nothing came out of times of, you know, uh, no conflict or whatever. I mean, it, recessions really have uh, been times that force you to get resourceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I'm a person that when I started my business, I had $16 in the bank. Wow. And uh, it was the middle of a recession, so no bank would give me a loan, especially since I didn't own a, ho- a house. All I owned at the time was a $500 car. And so adversity is really when you don't have the resources. And so not having resources is one thing, but how resourceful can you get? Mm. Um, adversity always forces you to get resourceful and resourcefulness is the true power Mm. that's when you see a successful entrepreneur 
It's not the guy that says, um, you know, I have all the money in the world. I can start this business that sticks with it because as soon as his business hits adversity, you know, he has so much money, he could, deep pockets, he could just bail. Mm-hmm. And in the same way too, a lot of people don't start a business because they're facing adversity because they say they don't have the resources. So they say, I don't have enough money. I don't have the education. I don't have, right? Mm-hmm. And so I look at um, any trying time as, uh, you know, that's the heat factor. That's, that's when you take an idea that you think is gold mm-hmm. and you heat it up. And uh, by being in tough times, it's kind of this refining fire that yes. kind of melts away all the crap that's in what you think is gold. Mm-hmm. And you know, do I have a bunch of ash here? Or do I have something even better and more pure now that it's been held up to the fire? Mm. That's a great way of looking at it. And and I, I believe that as well. Adversity is your friend. And it's interesting is the way that we look at adversity, what determines whether it's good or bad adversity to us is, are we looking at what it can give us or what it's taking away? And most people will look at what it's taking away. Yet on at the same time, there are people that engage in voluntary adversity every single day willingly with something like the gym or going running. Right. And if you just simply look at it for what it's giving you, in, in your words, it kind of burns away all, the, all what's not gold that you thought you had and reveals what is. And in, in trying times where we don't have much, that's, that's really the defining factor of whether or not we end up succeeding at something or we end up just making another excuse or story about it. Yeah. I mean, and if, if you fail, mm-hmm. uh, you don't really fail. I mean, you've learned something mm-hmm. that as long as you don't forget it, you can apply to, you know, the next fire or the next circumstance that comes in. So, you know, there was lots of, lots of times that I tried to start businesses before mm-hmm. and all the lessons that I learned uh, in those times uh, applied to the success of where our business is now. Mm. Well, what other kinds of businesses did you try and start before? Oh, you're going to laugh at this one, man. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I tried to start a window cleaning business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a little bit tough for me to do, uh, because here in Utah, in the city, uh, a lot of the homes are on, on big hills. And so I needed to have these 18, 20 foot ladders, um, and so uh, it was just too hard on my body. Mm-hmm. However, I found that s- uh, single uh, level homes or mm-hmm. just, you know, ground level homes, I was able to clean their windows, but there wasn't a lot of money in it. Mm-hmm. Well, my wife was trying to start a pet sitting business mm-hmm. and she was doing all right, but not great. And yes. so we decided to combine forces and be a window cleaning pet sitting business. Interesting. Uh, we call that pets and pains, right? And, uh, so basically, while you went out of town, we would watch your pets, uh, take them for walks, and you'd come home to clean windows, right? Excellent. I don't know why it didn't take off that well, but you know that was one of our ideas. Uh, I tried to start a video production company. Uh, you know, I. There were several, several different business ideas that I I played with. Mm -hmm. And for one reason or another, all of them, uh, either it was the wrong time for Mm -hmm. them 
uh, or, you know, I, I didn't have the right work ethic because mm-hmm. I was too young or it was that um, I could do the job myself. But once I brought on employees, I wasn't good at communicating with them. Mm. Uh, there were so many different obstacles, but I learned from each one of those circumstances, those situations. Uh, and now, you know, I basically um, have taken all of those lessons and I use them to coach my team. Mm-hmm. Um, something I didn't tell you, which I'm, I'm kind of proud of, uh, is that our barbershops are called Jed's Barbershop. Yes. I was the barber that worked in them. And I had every reason to be working in my business, mm-hmm. right? Because my name's on the building. Yes. And so when I had one location and eight chairs in this barbershop, I worked seven days a week from mm-hmm. nine to nine. So 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., seven days a week. Mm-hmm. And in the early days, I had to just stay at work. Yes. Uh, and so I was the epitome of the guy that worked in his business all the time. Mm-hmm. Then I studied a little bit of Tim Ferriss, a mm-hmm. um, little bit of uh, some of Tony Robbins' uh, RPM. I don't mm-hmm. know uh, if the people listening to this know what that is, but it's, it's a way of utilizing your time. Mm-hmm. Um, I became a, a reader of consolidating time. Yes. What happened was over a period of two years, I went from working 80 hours a week to now uh, when my business is open, I work one hour a week, one hour a week. Um, wow. And I, I just work that one hour a week because I like to. It's fun. Mm-hmm. I do it via Zoom. I've always done it via Zoom or mm-hmm. you know, Skype. Uh, so I often do that call from, you know, Peru or Colombia or Italy or wherever I am in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that is something I, I went from being a business operator to yes. a business owner. I went from working in my business to working on my business. And as soon as I did that with one shop, mm-hmm. that was when I was able to open up a second and third. And actually I, I applied all the systems and all the management um, that I had sort of created in within my own business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead of having to work more hours with more locations, uh, it got easier and easier for me to just manage people via phone call. You know, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah so you were able, I'm, able to be on the business versus in it and have that eye on it rather than having to work every little bit of it. Like you did in the beginning. Yeah. I became a business, uh, owner instead of a business operator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that's really interesting. And one, one thing I find fascinating about the way that you do business, Jed, and this is something that I remember discussing with this with you when you and I first met several years back, but also even recently where we got to have a, a Zoom call with your team last week uh, from, from the moment of this recording. And just the way that I see you treat your people and how you develop them, I think is really fascinating, especially because I've never seen a barbershop do that, um, let alone a lot of other businesses. I'm, I'm curious, what, what is your philosophy on developing people? Because many business owners miss the mark on that from the people that I've coached in the past. 
Yeah, well, that's actually the strength of millennials mm. is even though they are on their phone all the time and they're stuck in social media world. And if you ask them how many friends they have, they refer to their Instagram, mm-hmm. right? Which isn't real friends. Um, there's another side of them that are quite hungry for relationship mm-hmm. and very hungry for role models. Yes. And so the Gen X um, or baby boomer generation Mm-hmm. treated employees like um, like this. I tell you what to do because mm-hmm. you're my employee, you do it. Yes. Don't ask questions. Mm. That obviously doesn't work for people that want a mentor, that want to be coached, that want to jump behind your vision. Mm-hmm. But if you have a vision, you have some kind of goal and you can align with them on that goal, then they make it very, very easy to coach them, to mentor them, and to train them. So Mm -hmm. how do I think of my employees? Um, I don't have employees. I know it's cliche to say, but I have family members. Uh, Mm -hmm. I have, um, you know, my, how I look at my business is I have customers. And my customers are not the people that come in for a haircut. My customers Mm -hmm. are my team. Mm -hmm. And... Now, uh, there is this saying that the customer is always right, and mm-hmm. I agree with that, but the business isn't always right for the customer. Mm. And so, in the same way, people say, well, if you treat your team like your customers or your team like your family, isn't that kind of unhealthy? What about the people you have to fire and things like that? Mm-hmm. That's not a problem. We're just the wrong business for that person. Yes. So if we invite them in and we say, listen, we're going to mentor you, we're going to coach you, we're going to, we need to make sure first that you're on the same page as, as we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, our mission at Jed's is to be so nice people can't believe it. So you mm. have to really, really genuinely want to be nice to people and, and, and spoil people. Yes. So it's got to be part of you. Yeah. So we're going to put you through a bunch of um, testing basically to see if you have a customer service aptitude. Mm. And if you do, then you're welcome to join our, t- our team. Um, now we have certain things that we as a team have decided on mm-hmm. that define us. Yes. And those things are things like we're always early. Mm. So what's that mean if you show up on time, Victor? That you're late. That's right. Now, if you are naturally a person, Victor, that's late all the time, mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be happy with us because we're not going to be happy with you. You're going to be setting up your station right when it's time to start. And everybody's and ready. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to say anything to you. We're probably going to look over at you and smile, Victor. But we're not too happy with you. And we're, we're thinking, I don't know if you're part of our team, mm. right? And so what we do is we create this culture within us. That's just one example. Yes. Of certain things that are, um, you know, are non-negotiable standards. Mm-hmm. And then we have things that are, are nevers and always. Yes. Right? And we follow this certain rule in our business. And, um, but how do I think of my employees to get back to that question? Um, I think of them as team members. I think of them as, as people I'm mentoring. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I'm always, always trying to um, over deliver. Yes. Um, but under promise to them. Yes. I, and, and I think that's it. A lot of people will say a phrase like that, but not a lot of people mean it. And I've seen you in the way that you treat your people, uh, even just last week when we, when we spoke and it's something that you really do deliver on, right? You, you under promise, you over deliver. And I love the fact that the culture is driven by the, you know, being nice that people can't believe it being so nice. People can't believe it. And we're always early because you're essentially what I'm, what I'm seeing here. And the way I see this tying back to Zen stoicism is with Zen stoicism. One of the big things that we always discuss is aligning with your nature, not fighting it. And for some people, their nature is to be early, to be nice. And you're looking for people who have that as part of their nature. You're not trying to make someone go against their nature if maybe they're not a nice person or maybe they are not punctual at all. And I think that's, that's fascinating because most people, they try to change people rather than see them for who they are and accept them as is or not. But I find a lot of the turmoil in relationships happens when somebody's trying to change the nature of another person or vice versa. What have you seen with, with that particular topic of accepting someone's nature versus trying to mold it or change it? Well, so like I said, the business, the customer is always right, but the business isn't always right for the customer. Mm -hmm. Uh, For our team, some of them, they love how we look. They think that they can change mm-hmm. to adapt to our culture. And that's a possibility. But they have to be the one that wants to change. Right. People that don't want to change, you're not going to change them. People, uh, for instance, I said, you know, I coach or I mentor my team. If somebody joins our team and they don't want a mentor, they don't want a coach, Mm -hmm. then I'm the most obnoxious person in the world because I'm coaching and mentoring you and you didn't ask for it. Mm. So what we try to do is there are people that want to change and that have not been punctual, right? That maybe want to be nice, but they don't know how. Or in customer service, this is a big one. Um, a lot of the people that work in customer service, whether it's at the Ritz Carlton or whether it's at your restaurant or whatever, mm-hmm. these are not very high paying jobs. Yes. And so how do you expect a Ritz Carlton employee to treat you with five star customer service if they've never had it themselves? Hmm. They've never been able to afford it. Yes. They don't even know what it looks like. Right. So, There is an obligation on business owners now to train the behavior that you want to see, Mm -hmm. but then you have to very closely monitor it and let them know uh, when they're doing well with it Mm -hmm. and when they're, you know, falling short of it. Yes. And so we, we do attempt to change people, but we only attempt to change the people that want to change. Correct. People who want to make that. Yeah. And some people will tell you in the interview because they want the job Mm -hmm. that they align with you. Mm -hmm. But that's why post-interview is so important. 
And so like one of the things that we do at JEDS is after um, 15 days, Mm -hmm. we check in with them. After 30 days, we check in with them. After 60 days, we check in with them. After 90 days, we check in with them. Uh, And then we don't check in again for a year. But there's a lot of checking in right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And we're looking for things that uh, they may have got through the interview process. Um, but it's, it's very clear when you have, when, when your team mm-hmm. is all on the same page, they start enforcing your guidelines without you being around. That's, so that's like, amazing. They're like, wait a minute. We mm-hmm. were all here at 945 and this place opens up at 10. Mm-hmm. You're just walking in at 955. Something's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have to do anything as an owner. They kind of weed out their own. Wow. They've created that culture themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and every once in a while too, you'll get a cancer in there. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of your leaders, one of the people that is in charge, something has happened in that person's life where now they no longer care about their job. Mm. Then that person you'll start to see that the whole shop starts showing up at 9.55. Because they're leading the, the overall tone and the mood right. in there. And then you just grab that person, you back around with them, you say, hey, listen, um, you've always been this person that's always been early. Mm-hmm. What's been going on in your life to cause this? Well, I just don't think you're paying me enough. Well, we both knew that, Victor. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to pay you as much money as you deserve. Mm. But money, I don't believe that you work for just money, Victor. Mm. When you say I'm not paying you enough, does it mean that I don't appreciate you enough? Can we have a conversation about this? And then what I'll do is I'll follow that up with, you know, this is, what I, this is the behavior I would like to see from you. Mm-hmm. This is the behavior that I, I've been bragging to my friends about whenever I mention Victor. Mm-hmm. Now, what kind of behavior do I need to give you as the employer to make you brag about me? That's cool. So, <laughs> I, I love that dynamic. Yeah, so it backs around. And then, you know, I will ask that person, you know, can I hold you accountable to mm-hmm. show up early for now on? Yes. Okay, cool. Is it all right if I share this with the rest of the team? And they'll almost always say yes. And so I'll say, hey, team, gather around. Victor and I just had a conversation. Mm. He has let me know the areas that I've been lacking. I've let him know the areas that he's lacking. One of those areas is that he's been showing up at 955. Mm -hmm. He knows that's a bad example for all you guys. And so he would like you all to hold him accountable to show up at 945. Will you guys do that since I can't be around here? And they're like, yes. And I go, sincerely, Victor, Mm. do you really want people to hold you accountable? Yes. Okay, why? Otherwise, they're going to think it's just me. Well, because, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, thank you. Okay, awesome. Everyone on the same page? And then if there are two or three people that have been following his suit that have been showing up at 955, they just... He's the leader. They just start to mimic his behavior. Anyhow, I'm kind of rambling on now. Yeah, I, I find that to be fascinating. Honestly, I'm sitting here like I don't 
I'm not a barber and I don't need a job, but I almost want to come work at Jed's. <laughs> Just because like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that's such a lesson in proper communication that people are getting on a daily basis just by being a part of that culture because it you're right it's not the way that the gen x employer would treat their employee where like you do what i say or you're fired kind of thing but there's an actual conversation there's a communication there's a a level of humanity there and it's also not just addressing the surface issue or the what i like to call the symptom Um, But you're actually getting into the cause of the problems that might be arising rather than just trying to hack off branches from the problem, which which I feel is is something that I've seen most people do it, not just in business, but in life, like nobody go. Many people are fearful of going into the root of the problem and actually solving it. And um, I mean, you and I, before we actually got on here, we were talking about one of the reasons that people will often lose control of their emotions because they're focusing on the uncontrollable or they're focusing on uh, perhaps and with these examples, just the surface of the problem. You, you talked about how you didn't really study stoicism, but it is something that when you started to learn about it, you realized that, Hey, this is actually a part of my life. So would you speak to that a little bit in terms of how you handle the uncontrollable or how you go into the root of a problem versus just trying to remove the surface? Sure. Um, Well, I mean, when it comes to what you can't control, Mm -hmm. you can't control other people's uh, mood, Mm -hmm. their attitude. I mean, you can try to persuade them, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit, but you really can't control somebody else. Right. Um, And that's what's real frustrating for business owners. You know, we have, I don't know, 50 something employees. And so um, I can't be everywhere at every time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I know that's going on is if, well, right now it's COVID-19, but normally there's 50 people working today. Somebody's screwing up somewhere, Mm -hmm. guarantee it, right? And so I can always be pissed off and on edge because mm-hmm. somebody's screwing up somewhere all yes. the time. Or I can make a choice to say, to accept it. And when I accept it, it becomes easy for me to then get strategic because uh, I don't have all the stress and thought power going to focusing in on that person or those people that are mm-hmm you know, not doing what everyone else is doing. Yes. I can just go, okay, these people aren't doing what everyone else is doing. I let go of that. And then I go, what can I do? What can I do? Well, I have probably 40 other employees Mm -hmm. that are doing what's right. I can reinforce them with praise I could make public examples of them. I can uh, spend more of my time and energy picking out the leaders amongst them. Mm -hmm. And when I change my focus to what's working for my business and who's doing a great job, it seems like a byproduct of that is that those people that are not on board, that are causing my problems, that are breaking stuff, that are, you know, 
the they end up just leaving us mm-hmm. going somewhere else uh we don't have to tell them you've been screwing up or whatever the team does that the team is like hey listen um you just did this wrong and normally a normal person would say okay how do i do it right mhm the people that you want to get rid of get become defensive no i did this just fine uh don't criticize me blah 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 and um if i'm just focusing in on developing my leaders and my team then i'm focusing in on what i can control the yes. people i can't control uh end up just taking off now so that's one example of like an area that just letting go of what i can't con- control right now we're in the middle of covid-19 right mm-hmm. um i have tens of thousands of dollars in rent that i have to pay on my business yes i have to pay all my vendors uh still like i have to pay for the cable tv at the shops i have to pay mm-hmm. for the power and all those bills right yes um i'm paying 100% of my employees health insurance right now mhm uh and so you know you could get stressed about that or you could say listen this is not really something i can change this has to be done yes and then we get into what again being resourceful yes with what i have in front of me what can i do i'm not going to waste my energy or my time complaining about any of this stuff because it's not going to do anything except mess up my nervous system absolutely so, going to take this energy right now and i'm going to become macgyver i'm going to i'm going to try to figure out how to pay my rent how to keep my uh people on payroll how to pay for their health insurance um with you know two skittles and a beer bottle <laughs> and to me that's fun yes to me that's um you know and then the other stuff that i can't control i have to just surrender it i have to like literally say thank you for having this obstacle here you know universe or god mm-hmm. um can you take this off my shoulders so that i can focus on what i can do hmm. right now i don't know i'm i'm kind of babbling on uh, no, but I, I, that's a I mean that's a great way of putting it especially when you're 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 finding yourself in a circumstance that you don't have almost any control over and you got to get resourceful as to what you do have. One thing that I always talk about it, one of the very first coaching sessions that I ever did and was a, a part of the development of Zen stoicism before I even knew it knew it was Zen stoicism was this idea of you can only play life with the cards that you have not the ones you don't. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to play any better by wishing for different cards or by comparing your cards to someone else's cards. You must use what you have. That's it. That's the only way that you're going to become a better player at this game is to use the cards that you have. And it's interesting that <clears throat> you have a way of cuz I feel like when most people meditate or pray or at least the way that it's portrayed these days is like meditating and praying for something that you want versus asking for more of yourself 
to to come through. So it, it, I always find it funny when people are like, oh, meditate for abundance, meditate for the love of your life, meditate for your, your life purpose so you can find it. I'm like, it's not the point. It's the same thing with like anything relating to prayer. Like if you're praying, just like asking for stuff that you want, that's not going to do you any good. But what, what I found interesting about the ask that you have there is you're asking for some of the weight to be lifted off your shoulders so that you can more so focus on what you can do. And I imagine that whether or not anything happens in the outside environment as a result of that, your mentality has already shifted to what can I do? And almost like this trust and faith in nature itself or the universe or God or however you, you want to call it. And I'm sure that alone has a shift in your mentality. Would that be fair to say? Yeah. I mean, my wife and I have, um, I spent a lot of time in meditation, especially mm. since I started microdosing. But um, <laughs> the, um, our thoughts, it's, it's kind of like that quote that said, um, what if you woke up today mm-hmm. with only the things that you thanked God for yesterday? Wow. <laughs> Right. And so um, I'm trying to constantly shift my mind to what's great about this. Mm. It's a common question in our house. If I brought my wife up here to be on this podcast mm-hmm. and I say, what question do we ask each other the most? She would say, what's great about this? Yes. Literally, it's this ridiculous. If some, our dog died, mm-hmm. what's great about this, Jed? Mm. And at first I go, oh, nothing. No. Jed, what's great about this? Well, we were really good owners. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what else is great about this, Jed? Because the sooner you shift your mind, it's not about thinking. It's about as soon as you shift your mind to the things that you have to be grateful for and you're in gratitude, mm-hmm. fear ends up going the opposite direction. Yes. And um, I've heard it said, I can't remember who said this, but I've heard it said, that business owners, well, people in general, almost all their bad decisions are made mm-hmm. out of fear or being under the influence of something. Yes. Like, you know, alcohol or mm-hmm. drugs or something like that. Almost every bad decision that a business owner makes has to do with uh, being in a state of fear or in, you know, some kind of. Mm-hmm. being drunk or something. Absolutely. Um, and so what I'm trying to do is constantly stay away from fear. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm able to turn fear into gratitude, then that frees up my mind to get resourceful. Yes. And that takes adversity and makes it, um, instead of winter, it turns winter into uh, springtime and fall. Yes. You're able to pick more fruit. You're able to harvest uh, in the middle of winter because you're able to literally change your resources. Mm. Um, you become resourceful by moving out of fear into gratitude. That frees up space in your mind and in your heart so that you could get resourceful. And when you're in a resourceful state, uh, wealth of some sort follows. Yes, and I'm not just talking about wealth of money but wealth of vitality when it comes to your health, wealth of vitality when it comes to your mind, your relationships become better and more healthy. Um, Everything's better when you shift out of fear. And so right now we are in a time 
of fear for mm-hmm. most people. And the only way, and, and what's really going on is people will say, no, I'm just frustrated. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're fearful. Yes. You see, people, especially business owners, are used to being in control. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're not in control of anything. Yes. Well, that makes us angry, but at the root of that anger, at the root of that frustration, is fear that something's out of our control. Yes. So if we let go of that fear and even embrace the idea of death, this sounds nuts, but if you not embrace it like I want death, but if you just take a day and Mm -hmm. meditate on death. Yes. Like go, okay, if today was your very last day and you can't control anything around you, what would you do? Well, I would tell my wife I love her. I would call my employees, the ones that I like, and tell them, you know, you've been part of this great journey with me, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. You, you, your mind suddenly moves into an area of gratitude and things like that. And so sometimes it's good for you to meditate on the idea of, okay, what's the worst case scenario? Yes. You're out of control. Okay. You, you can't control the economy. You can't control whether you're, you know, what is the worst case scenario? Play it out in your head mm-hmm. because it's probably not going to be that bad. Yes. But let's play it out in your head. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now you have something to be grateful for because that has not happened yet. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know if I, am no, I making- that, that's a, uh, no, that the, the interesting thing is everything that you said there is like the core of stoic philosophy. Hmm. I mean, number one, meditating upon your own death. That is a concept called memento mori, to remember that you're mortal, that you're going to die one day. And the idea of imagining the worst case scenario, the Stoic practice called negative visualization, and where they would imagine the worst case scenario and go, is that really that bad? Okay, well, I'm not in that. I'm here. So I'm going to enjoy what's here. Uh, one of the most famous Stoic philosophers is a man named Epictetus. And for a lot of his life, he was a slave. So he didn't really have a, any of his basic human rights like other people did. And he has this really interesting quote that I, I recently created a meditation on where he says, if, I ha- if, it's time, if it's time for me to die, then I will die. But if it's not time for me to die, I will go to lunch because the hour of lunch has arrived. <laughs> And I always thought, I thought like, that's awesome because basically what he's saying is like, at least the way I dissected it, many people are fearing their own version of death, their own worst case scenario, and they're fearing it. And they're living in that thought, not from a conscious perspective, the way that you're expressing it, where you're just imagining it for the sake of reflecting upon it, but they're actually imagining it as though it's coming and they're living in that future. So they're robbing themselves of the present. They're not doing the things that are most important right now. Things as simple as maybe it's just maybe right now what's what time and nature is calling you to do is just eat your lunch or sit with your loved one or walk your dog or brush your teeth. I mean, it takes us out of the present moment when we worry so much about the things that we can't control. And many people have that sense of like the worst case scenario, but they don't meditate and reflect on it. They just imagine it from the point of view of a victim, 
of like, this is going to happen to me and poor me and this is terrible and this and that. And they start to live at the effect of their own thoughts and become mm. a prisoner of their mind, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. You know, there's something that goes through my mind a lot is um, 9-11. Mm-hmm. And uh, 9-11 happened on my honeymoon. Um, and I was one of the flights that was supposed to come home uh, around that date. So I got stuck in Mexico, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. But Not the worst thing. <laughs> um, what I wanted to say about that is they released all these uh, phone calls mm-hmm. that people made. Um, and I, I think of like the business owner that normally I'll talk to or whatever, and they'll say, listen, I don't have time to meditate. I don't have time to... Um, you know, I'm not going to change my day. I have problems I have to solve today mm-hmm. and I'm not going to spend today hanging out with my wife and doing things like I'm going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. That's not what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about listen to the phone calls from the people from the plane mm-hmm. when their when their plane was hijacked. Yes. And it's shocking. You'll hear people saying, Obviously, they didn't get through because it's recorded on an answering machine. But you'll hear them say, just tell this person and this person and this person and this person I love them. I'll see you again. Bam. And then their plane hits the tower. And that's literally all it takes. If, If you were to wake up, see, okay, I have all these problems I have to address today. And some of them have me in a a sense of fear, but I'm going to sit down for a second, pretend I'm on one of those planes. And what would that phone call look if I had 30 seconds? Hmm. What would that look like? Say that out loud, feel it, open up your eyes, 30 seconds. And you're grateful to be alive. You're great. You've got perspective on what's going on that day. Yeah, um, And it takes away some of that fear, right? So it is interesting that meditating on death, like, um, or just acknowledging it. Who is it? Um, I know this guy's a stoic, Marcus. Uh, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, we talk Aurelius. about him a lot on here. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I have a quote downstairs mm-hmm. that he had that says, death smiles, is, is always smiling at you. Mm. And all you can do is smile back. Yes. Right. Love that one. <laughs> so it's going to happen to us all. It's inevitable. Yes. Um, and the great thing is, like, I think it's the Peanuts cartoon with Charlie Brown or mm-hmm. maybe it's Winnie the Pooh. I can't remember. But, you know, someone says, hey, ch- someday we're going to die. And then the Snoopy says, but most days we live. Mm. Right. So just having that perspective that life is short, things are short, you know, with this COVID-19 thing, you know, it is real nerve wracking because there's so much misinformation and nobody knows who to trust and blah, 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 blah. Well, you know what you have that you can control. Um, And if up until now, if what scares you is that you haven't been living the life that you're proud of, mm-hmm. then this is a wonderful time for you to self-reflect and start to build that life 
and use that fear in that case and turn it into excitement for what you're going to do. Yes. Um, I, I have a feeling that this um, quarantine time is actually the biggest gift um, before something more terrible happens. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all looking at this as maybe it's the worst thing that's ever happened mm-hmm. and that we're in the, the, the trenches right now. Maybe mm-hmm. we're not in the trenches. Maybe this is the pause before some real big shit comes down. Mm-hmm. How did you spend this time preparing? Are you, have you been bitching about the government, bitching about what the banks aren't giving you, bitching about all this kind of stuff? Or have you taken a moment to self-reflect, say, what's my life really mean? I mean, Utah, where I am, we keep getting hit with earthquakes on top of this COVID. Mm-hmm. And so we, I can't help but to think, oh, maybe there's something more going on here. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the universe wanted me to be at home with my family and my dog and to just say, hey, you guys all right? Let's love each other. Maybe the earth is just saying, hey, give me a breather for a second because, you know. Um, but uh, I think of this time as a time of rest, reflection, yes. and planning. And those are all things I have control over. And all and, gifts. Yeah. All gifts for that matter. I mean, like when the, when the world is busy and it's moving quickly, like we never give ourselves time for that. Like as, as a society, I mean, there are select few people who do, but for the most part, we don't get that. No, I mean, this is uh, an amazing time. Uh, I, I expect that uh, I probably will lose quite a few employees. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we're a great place to work for, uh, we do weekly uh, calls with our team, not just weekly, sometimes twice a week, where we do meditations, breathing exercises. We had you as a, a guest coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically what we're telling them is, listen, some of you guys have come to work and you've been barbers in this whole time, but when you're at home right now, you might be reflecting. Mm-hmm. You might have more time than you've normally had to think about what you actually want to do with your life. And if it's barber, keep on board with us. But if it's something else, then help us help you move on. Mm -hmm. Um, So like one person, I'm helping them with uh, looking into veterinarian schools. Um, Wow. You know, so we we kind of- Not an average conversation from your employer, that's for sure. Well, you know, that's the only way that you're going to encompass passion and enthusiasm Mm -hmm. in your business is, you know, when you see someone, the worst problem I've ever had in my business Mm -hmm. is um, people that quit and they keep showing up for work. (laughs) Uh, Nothing kills enthusiasm, nothing kills. And what's sad is we're so good to our team that sometimes what's keeping them from quitting Mm -hmm. is that they're afraid to tell me or my wife or their manager, listen, you guys have been great to me, but I, I've got to go. Mm-hmm. They're afraid of that. Yeah. They don't want to hurt our feelings. And so I have to be vocal about this is not going to hurt my feelings. You guys are my, my family. Yes. And if any of you said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm fantastic at, at law or accounting, but you know, if I die tomorrow and I never gave acting a shot, mm-hmm. then I would feel incomplete. I'm like, yes. hey, dude, let us help you. 
you know, become an actor? What resources can we use? You know, we have 8,000 people a month walk into our shop. How can we, or maybe a week, it's 8,000 a week. I can't remember. Um, but anyhow, how can we be a resource for you? How can we invest in you? Mm-hmm. you know? um, that's what you want to create with your team. Yes. And, um, and sometimes it's a good idea as a parent, I would think. I don't know. I don't have kids. But for my team, I try to uh, say out loud what I think that they're fearing. Mm. Um, so I'll try to say out loud, you know, I was afraid our bus- that we would go out of business. Mm. But I've reflected on the things that I have control of. And now I know that we're not going to go out of business. Or if we go out of business, we're going to go out of, out with a fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think what, what millennials are really good at yes. is cutting through people's bullshit. Yeah. I don't know how because they're all on their phone and friggin' internet and all that kind of stuff, right? Facebook. But somehow I think their minds have been bombarded with so much um, misinformation on news channels and things like that, that from a very young age, it made them look at everything that was being thrown at them and try to cut through the bullshit. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to articulate that. They don't know how to deal with conflict, but they know how to detect bullshit. Mm -hmm. And so if you as a leader get up and you tell everyone, we're awesome, we're going to do great, blah, 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 right? Um, they're, they can see right through that if it's not genuine. Yes. It's, uh, it's absolutely Again, true. I'm on a tangent, dude. No, I mean, that, 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 that's what I brought you on for, brother. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always enjoying uh, you know, your perspective on things. And it's funny, you're, I think you're right about millennials and that type of detection because it's it's more conducive for a leader to show that sense of vulnerability like you do and speak on the same level as them versus trying to pretend like everything's okay. I, I remember seeing a meme the other day. It was like, I think it was uh, United Airlines sending emails like, hey, we're in this together. And people like, what? Like, what do you mean we're in this together? Where were, where were you when my bag was 51 pounds? Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. I always find these things uh, really interesting. And uh, d- there's one, one point that I wanted to circle back to that you had mentioned. And it was where you ask your question, like, what's great about this? And you take the, ener- the emotional energy of fear or emotional energy of stress and you, you use that energy towards something constructive. And one thing that we always talk about when it comes to Zen Stoicism is how no emotion is positive or negative. You have pleasant and unpleasant. And all that we do know is that it is emotional energy. It is. And whichever way it feels is simply based on your perception and where you're going to direct that. And that question that you asked, what's great about this, is a, is a fantastic way of not just redirecting that emotional energy into a better place, but also a way of appreciating your emotions. And, and many people will judge themselves for thinking negative or having the fear, having the stress itself. And instead you're saying what's great about this and appreciating it. And you and I both know, because I know you, you've been through some similar coaching training to me that 
when we judge, we create stagnation in the mind. But when we appreciate, we can create movement. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. 100%. Excellent. So I, uh, before we wrap up, I have this one last question that I started asking because one of my guests asked it. And I, I thought it was amazing. <laughs> At the end of the interview, he's like, he's like, now I'm going to ask you a question. I'm like, oh, what? Okay, sure. Go for it. So the question is this. <clears throat> Let's imagine for a moment it's 10,000 years from now. And humans have moved off of the planet Earth, yet some of our ruins are still here. And an alien civilization came by and they found your hard drive. And on that hard drive, there was one file with one document and it said, my last message to humanity. What would that document say? Hmm. Well, I think it would be we fucked up. (laughs) I mean, if we're living on another planet (laughs) or we're out in space, (laughs) I think we fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, you know, for uh, I, I think of something that Joe Rogan said. Um, mm-hmm. He was he was in a plane, and I, I've had this experience quite a bit because I do a lot of travel. Mm-hmm. And he was flying over a beautiful, like you know, green forest, and then he came upon a city, but he's up thirty thousand feet. Mm-hmm. And he said that earth, you know, civilization just kind of looked like this cancer Mm. on something beautiful. And I think that um, so many of us don't think about death. We don't think about the next generation. Mm -hmm. We just think about our needs, what we want. And so it gives us an excuse to consume more to pollute more, to, you know, build bigger. Um, and if we had reflect, if we, if we were to reflect like your question, you know, it's 20, 30, 40,000 years from now or whatever, mm-hmm. um, you know, is I would assume if we're not on this planet that we left things pretty fucked up. Mm. and that's something that we can control right now and literally when was the last time um, the cruise ships were in the planes were grounded the roads didn't have as many trucks or cars on them the trains weren't running and you could breathe this air that we're breathing all around the world not just in the US Mm. but in China in India everywhere We've been given a second chance here to stop, breathe, and reflect. Hopefully, we don't have to write a note that says we fucked up. (laughs) Wow. That's awesome. Thank you for that perspective. That's, it's incredibly powerful to hear it said that way. So... Jed, it was it was awesome having you here, man. If yeah, uh, if after this pandemic, people are traveling through Utah, they need a haircut. Where can they find you guys? Oh, we're in downtown Salt Lake City. We have a few locations. Um, 
you can uh, look us up on jedsbarbershop.com. And uh, yeah, or check us out on Facebook. We'll probably make you laugh. Um, We use that's for sure. (laughs) Interesting way. Um, Yes, indeed. And so, uh, yeah, but uh, you know, it's been a pleasure to be talking to you. Um, I love catching up and seeing, you know, where you are in life and where I've uh, been able to help. Um, hopefully I, you know, I don't know, I connected with somebody on this podcast and uh, they get what I'm saying, but yeah, I ramble on, I talk too much and uh, <laughs> I'm going to, that's what the platform's for. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, right. that's what I do best. So, all Excellent. right. All right, Jed, well, thanks so much I for being on. You, man. Yes. Likewise, brother. Thank you for being here. Awesome. Thanks.